and we're back. How are you doing, guys? Not bad. All better for seeing you. <laughs> yes. We're actually in the same room for the first time in months. It is, and we're all wearing face masks and pointing at each other with sticks to keep each other away with That's the plague. Right. Oh yeah, we should actually keep up the pretense that we're wearing face masks, shouldn't we? <laughs> so this is Tom Harris. <laughs> yeah. I'm Um No, we'll just have to uh, <laughs> take the risk. But no snogging, gentlemen. Oh, damn it. Um, not even any shaking of the hands. Welcome back to Power of Three. Uh, my name is Tom Harris. I'm Kenny Smith. I'm still David Steele. And we are meeting physically together in the same room for the first time since, well, since March anyway, possibly mm-hmm. before then. So. I've, yeah. lost, I've lost track of it. We've produced quite a few episodes via Zoom. Zoom seems to be the, the software that's keeping the country going at the moment. But we've decided to take a risk. Yes. Have lunch. Yes. Uh, so that David can see the dog. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and it was a damn good lunch too, so yes, thank, thank you, you to the Harrises for Compliments their hospitality. The we're, we're going to do a, a special, another special, and this time it's going to be about regeneration. But before we get to that, uh, what have you both been reading, watching, listening to uh, in the last week or so that's perhaps not necessarily Doctor Who? David? Well, I've finished, after digging them out a couple of months ago to read through, I finished reading the, the Baxter series of the DC Comics run of Legion of Superheroes. I should say the Baxter run of the DC Comics series, Legion of Superheroes. What's the Baxter run? Baxter being the type of paper it was printed on. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. You, I might talk about that one day in my other podcast plug. Um, but I've also been chipping away at Quantum Leap and enjoying, in its loosest sense, um, a rewatch of an old American 70s TV series called Fantastic Journey, which I remembered seeing on TV when I was about five because I looked it up in the genome and found it, which is um, Ronnie McDowell and a few other actors sort of lost in the Bermuda Triangle, sort of. Um, just another formulaic American TV series about some travellers trying to get home. Yeah, I yeah. remember it, actually. I didn't. I don't remember being a huge fan, but I remember being I mean, quite it, it interested is, in it. It is incredibly off. It is, it is not good. It's manifestly <laughs> not good, but at the same time, it's not even one of these things. It's not. It's so bad. It's good. It works on its own terms. That's the actors I, are very good. And I also remember it being good. somewhat contemporaneous with Land of the Giants. I always associate those two series. I don't know if they were made by the same. I think there's about. I think there's about seven or eight years between them. But oh, the, the really interesting thing about um, Fantastic Journey is that DC Fontana worked on it. You know Dorothy Fontana, who worked on Star Trek quite mm-hmm. a lot, and you can tell. Because it, it, when it could be, you know, so many episodes, they just feel like they've walked out of the third series of Star Trek. The way they look, the way they, you know, yeah. some of the, the setups and situations, and it's quite easy to imagine sort of Captain Kirk and Mister Spock in place of Varian or or Doctor Willoway. Kenny, um, what have you been up to? Well, I've been busy on three fronts. Uh, firstly, I've discovered Game of Thrones in lockdown, wow. watching it for the first time. So just last night, finished uh, the last episode of season seven, and I cannot believe how much I was affected by. The, uh, <laughs> Kenny's been very careful. Yes, I don't want to spoil it because Dave's never seen it. Seen it. Um, by the end of season seven, and what happens with the dragon and the blue fire that it breathes, and I was very affected by what happened to the dragon at the end of the previous episode. I don't know why. Maybe it's because <laughs> I like animals and, and such likes. Uh, the other thing that I've been up to, I've been well, doing tons of big finish listening because I might as well enjoy it because I'm sure that the furlough is about to end soon. And the other thing I've been doing is, since Dave got in a plug, I've been producing the online Big Finish Day, which will be live from 4pm on the 1st of August. So hopefully this podcast will be out before then. And uh, you can tune in for lots of exciting interviews, chats, panels, and includes a mini documentary that I've made on action figures and how the Big Finish ones came to be. Very good. I suppose we should call this section of the podcast three degrees of Doctor Who because <laughs> you can always find some kind of link and, and my link is I have been catching up well watching for the very first time Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency we'll on Which Netflix version? the second version but I am determined now that I've I'm halfway I've, I've now I've just about finished the first season so I now I'm going to watch the second season and then I'm going to watch the you know the Stephen Mangan uh, version, just I think it'd be an interesting contrast. But I'm really enjoying that. I mean, it's very extreme. Uh, I, I I wonder. I've never read the books, so I don't know how close or not they are to to, to the the finished product. But it's fascinating and it's entertaining and really well done. 
the other thing I've been doing is Carolyn bought me the the Hammer Vault, which is just a wonderfully beautiful book, which gives all these kind of production extras that you don't usually get in books about Hammer. Right. You know, like, uh, remember when you used to go to the cinema in the 70s, there was always like half a dozen stills from the mm-hmm. the, the film out, yeah. displayed outside. So lobby cars, they call them. Lobby right? cars. They've yeah. got the lobby car for quite a few of the movies. Right. And, you know, uh, press packs and, st- mm-hmm. you know, stuff yeah. that's mm-hmm. kind of little left field. And it's fascinating. It's a beautiful book. Um, really lovely. And she also got me to go along with it. Dracula, AD 1972 <laughs> on Blu-ray. Good old Johnny Alucard. So I'm, I'm trying to build up my Blu-ray collection of all of the Hammer. Right. I've only got uh, three of them so far. I've only got the original Dracula with the extra bit that they found from of Italy. Course. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I've got what, what Brides of this? Dracula. It's, it basically sort of extends the, the... Spoilers if you haven't seen the original Hammer Dracula. It's, it's some... Shots were edited out of the death scene, basically. Dracula's death scene. Oh, when he turns into cardboard. Yeah. Great cardboard. Yeah. Wow. It's, so it's, it's, you can tell really where they've inserted it, but it's really fascinating that there was just a couple of seconds of this footage mm-hmm. that was missing from from British audiences version, but they found a, an old copy with it, with the full mm-hmm. kind of crumbling uh, sequence. I've got that, and I've got Brides of Dracula, which is the first sequel, and it's the only one that... Christopher Lee's not in. Brides of Dracula is phenomenal. It's brilliant, I've, isn't it? So we should, we should, um, I've suggested this in, in jest. We should maybe we could. Is there a case for us doing one on like you know a few Hammer Draculas and related Draculas because you know I have so much to I have so much to say about all of them. Brides is that scene at the end when when Cushing is just like you know oh, so athletic. Cushing is fantastic. He's, just, he's amazing. Um, I'll agree to that as long as we can watch the Vampire Lovers. <laughs> of course we can. Yeah, um, that's, that's not a bad idea, actually. I mean, we, so should. we could probably... Ex- there's probably a few Doctor Who guest stars and a few Hammer movies. Ingrid Pitt's novelty. And, of course, mm-hmm. my Uncle Pete was a big fan of Ingrid Pitt. Um, but Peter Cushing obviously has, a, has obviously a Doctor Who connection. Of course. But I've, I have a dedicated bookcase at home of nothing but Hammer movies. I've yeah. got, I'm in triple figures in my Hammer collection. So any year after, you want to loan up? Just give me a I'll, shout. I will take you up on that. That doesn't apply to you, listeners. No, sorry. sorry, that's just just to Tom, I'm afraid. Sorry. Let's go. Yeah, Dracula right? in 1972. Absolutely. Phenomenal. So many Doctor Who actors and that. Christopher Neem's in it. Indeed. Um, that's just one of them for you. Let's get on with the show. Jarring mix of themes old and more recent tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast where three lifelong grumpy middle-aged Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise the televised, novelised and audio adventures of our favourite time-travelling hero. We're talking about regenerations. Um, it wasn't a phrase or a word that was used to do within Doctor Who until fairly late on. Planet of the Spiders, I think, is the first that story right? which referred to right. as regeneration rather than rejuvenation as they'd used in the Power of the and, and then they talk about changes of appearance and just having a different yeah. face and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, It's... Um, it, 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 it's one aspect of the show which I think actually kind of defines the show more than almost anything else. If it wasn't for regeneration, it wouldn't be around anymore, really, because... You have to believe that it's the same character, albeit with a different face, and that just wouldn't have happened if they hadn't invented this alien idea of yeah. the, that you could regenerate. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the very first one. Kenny, explain the circumstances that led up to the decision to recast the Doctor. Yeah, well, there'd been a lot of trouble with William Hartnell as his health deteriorated through arteriosclerosis, which had resulted in becoming a lot more short-tempered, and forgetful with his lines and as the arteries in his brain hardened. And they originally thought about replacing him during the Celestial Toymaker, which is why he becomes invisible. And then the idea was that they'd bring him back and he would have a different face and body, which was an idea that Donald Tosh came up with. And obviously they didn't go with it, but they carried on with the late Mr Hartnell until it came to the Tenth Planet. And a decision was taken on high that uh, Bill would be moved on, as we can watch in an adventure in space and time. And Bill gets to say the immortal words, I don't want to go. But obviously he did. And 
the cast, a uh, rather fantastic actor, somebody who's probably one of those guys. In fact, I think my dad always summed him up as saying Patrick Troughton was one of those actors. You see him in everything, but you don't always remember his name. Mm-hmm. But you think, oh yeah, there's that guy and yeah. he's really good. Yeah. And he became our new doctor. There's a story that goes that um, the only reason that Hartnell actually continued beyond or as far as he did was that the BBC contract department automatically reissued, you know, a brief to kind of retain him for the number of however number many episodes that that took. So you know, there's one reason why he might have gone during Celeste Tomaker, but that that was sort of yeah. They also, when they wrote the Tenth Planet, it was recently found in the Kit Peddler archive, the original version of Episode Four, which had no regeneration in it whatsoever. It just carried on, and uh, the Doctor is mm, well. Let's go now, my children. Hmm? And off they go in the TARDIS again. But it's it's an interesting thing because you know you say they're talking about it's obvious if the regeneration thing hadn't happened, you know been created, the series couldn't have continued. It's I you know there's an idle speculation that if Hartnell hadn't been ill, would it have maybe gone on for another two or three years with just him and then finished because the the ratings did sort of decline quite dramatically during the third series, and it's. You know, it's a fact that it was it was probably past its its first big peak in popularity, and it didn't really get that again. I think until, until John Pertwee took over, because the the figures sort of up and down very much through Trent's first series, but they, there was a, a real sort of decline in his last. And it's I think if as much as I love William Hartnell, I think it's probably as far as the the series, it probably was for the best that he went when he did, because if he'd gone on maybe and done another full series and and then the, the viewing figures had continued to drop they, they probably just would have cancelled it yeah. right so it's 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 you know it's it's become that cliche to say that what became what was first sort of done as a matter of necessity has become that really unique we always talk about point. the that first regeneration and and Troughton coming in as it saved the show to what extent were the audience convinced i think in fact, I was, I was reading some stuff about this quite recently, that at the time the audience reaction was, oh, all right, there's a new Doctor Who, mm, don't like him. And then as always happens, yeah. within three weeks, as if he's always been there yeah. and they just carry yeah. on watching. I mean, it's, it's interesting, a lot of the contemporary sort of coverage about it, like Power of the Daleks got a front cover of the Radio Times. And it was the Daleks, no mention of the fact that there was a new Doctor there at yeah, all. You know, it, was, it was just sort of almost business as usual in a way. Yeah, and I think, I'm sure that um, the Daily Mirror did a news story to say, and it was literally three paragraphs to say, William Hartnell's leaving Doctor Who, Patrick Troughton is taking over from him, his first story will be shown in October. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, what's the matter with the Doctor? I don't know, when the lights went out, he just seemed to faint. Hey, come on, Doctor, wakey, wakey, it's all over now. What did you say, my boy? It's all over. That's what you said. It's far from being all over. What are you talking about? I must get back to the TARDIS. Immediately. All right, Doctor. What's happened to him? I don't know. He seems to have lost his sense of humour. Well, I can't wait to get out of this place. Wait, where are you? Open the door! Hey, let's go! Why are you here, all places? Open up! sort of first sort of change of shape because when I did my big watch through it felt like a real natural development of a lot of the things that had gone on during the third series like there's the time destructor and the Dalek master plan there's the machine he gets wired up to in the savages you know, the doctor does get put through the ringer 
quite a lot in the last in his last series. So the final effect of Mondas sort of draining the energy from him, you know, it was. I wonder if a lot of the audience put that, you know, got that sort of sense at the time. If it, it really does feel organically, like a lot of the other regenerations, which you know, we'll talk about them, obviously, they do feel a bit kind of irrele- irrelevant to the plot, kind of crowbarred in. See if but we- it's, 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 it really felt when I did my watch through. This is yeah, even though, though I knew it was coming, it was maybe I was just looking for the signs. It's interesting. I'd forgotten about the Mondas aspect of things because when you think about the reasons behind each of the regenerations, I always just write. I don't write it off, but I always just all right. First, change the second because his body wore out. Mm. Um, is is the narrative that he wouldn't have needed to change if it weren't for the Mondas effect? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of that's just me putting my own interpretation of it. It's I think I've read that before but somewhere. There's um, you know. He does collapse at a couple of points, and Mondas is draining energy from the planet. And maybe you know, I don't know. It's a well. I have to say, I don't really like the tenth planet as a story. It's quite. I think it's quite shoddy. It's a definite six and a half out of ten sort of thing for me. And so I don't watch it. Too what often. What really irritated me about it was the the shots of the uh, astronauts in space, and they move really, really slowly, as if that's how you move in space. You don't. You know if you. Have you been in space, Tom? <laughs> no, but I've seen actual video footage of people in space. Um, but yes, we're not here to talk about Tenth Planet. But anyway, that's 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 the first one. Yeah. So how, how true is it? How how true do you think is the depiction in uh, Adventures in Space and Time, written by Mark Gatiss, that you know how true is it that that Hartnell really didn't want to go at all? I think it's probably. We don't, I mean, we can't, Bill's not here, we can't ask him. I think there's maybe an element of... Well observed there, Dave. Yeah. Nothing gets past me. You can tell it's a contact lens day. You're taking it well. <laughs> You're taking well this bad news about <laughs> William Hartnell dying. Sad news, David. Your favourite doctor died, for, died 45 years ago. What? Is this in the Daily Express? And they um, did their story about Stephen Moffat's leaving Doctor Who. Right. Did you see this, Tom? No, tell me. This was about six weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> this, was was this was excruciating. And they said, oh, Stephen yeah. Moffat is leaving Doctor Who um, and they'll have, to, they'll have to hand over to somebody else. And... Um, very, very quickly, they hastily rewrote the story. Although the original, because they put it online the, to keep the original page valid, they had it sort of like Stephen Moffat leaves Doctor Who. Even the story is completely different. Say he's contributed to some of the to the lockdown, Cook lockdown yeah. stuff. Brilliant, absolute epic fail. Yeah, somebody who's not done any research. And, yeah, uh, oops, lazy hackery. It's, I, don't, I mean, there's a lot of there's there's been a few interviews with um, William Hartnell's widow. When she talked about how you know he he kind of came to the gradual realization he was going to have to give it up, I think the Mark Gates thing, as brown as it is, and I love it. I mean, I was you know bawling eyes out and I watched it first. It's probably a little bit slightly sentimentalized. Yeah, I yeah. Think. You know, For dramatic you know, purposes. Yeah, if you're going to do that, tell a story. You're going to cue up the violins, but it's yeah. um, it's, it's it's a shame that he kind of you know, but you know what a legacy that he left. A bit of a shame that he doesn't really get a proper farewell speech, which obviously other doctors have since then. Because it's almost as if it's hastily running out of time, quick. Oh, I see. Yeah, gone. And we should well, mention the fact how when I first, my first exposure to the, first, the Doctor's first changes when I read it in the novelisation, and there it's completely different because Ben and Polly go back to the ship, and he's you know, he's asleep using the, the sleep inducer or sleep compressor, and, the, and Ben lifts the cover off this thing on the the floor of the TARDIS control room, and there's another man underneath. You know, I so haven't read that for really? such a long time. I didn't realise so that. That was that was something I was kind of stuck in my head as being one of the first sort of changes that was made from the, the TV narrative. Well, the, you know, the, the speech, the pre-regeneration speech is, is really a modern invention. You didn't really get that them. many speeches <laughs> in the classic series. You, you, got, got, a, you, you got a couple of, couple of decent lines sometimes, yeah. but not always. Yeah. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to the next regeneration, even though it wasn't called that at the time. When Patrick Troughton gave way to John Pertwee, except he doesn't really, not in the last episode of, of the War Games. Is this is this the only regeneration that doesn't feature the new actor? It is now, yes. You're looking puzzled, Dave. Yes, because obviously we, when we Yeah, because we got we event, yeah, because Yes, there is yeah, a regeneration further yeah, on that doesn't yes. feature the first the previous doctor, but we'll come to that. Yeah. Yeah. But this is because Pertwee hadn't been cast at the time, is that right? I think that is the case, yeah. I they knew it was going to continue. Yeah, I mean, they knew um, he might have been cast, but I think it was the, probably the filming schedule. Probably. But I'm sure they actually wanted to retain that element of mystery. Because one thing that was really good when the DVD came out of the war game, you know, Trent's final story, 
it was the picture quality was so well improved on the VHS that we all bought 30 years ago. Ah, oh, um, it really looks like the doctor's face is just gone. He almost looks like he's got no head. Mm. And I, I remember seeing yeah. my sister when you know when we were watching the VHS because you could kind of see that there was nothing really happening. You know, as far as having a what am I even talking about right now? You didn't really have a face. And I remember saying to Ali, like, you know, imagine you were a kid in 1969 and someone new moved into your street or you got a new teacher at the school. You know, you could be, could that be the doctor? Because it was, I really yeah. liked that sort of ambiguity and I'd love it if they had the balls to do something like that again, you know, where, they, where there wasn't a kind of slightly contrived line about, you know, different coloured body parts or something or having a, a freckle on his back. And it just, it ended with the, It'd be really, you know, almost like the cliffhanger to the stolen earth, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't know what's happening, what's coming next. Which is a proper regeneration. Yeah. He will be sent to earth in the 20th century and will remain there for as long as we deem proper. And for that period, the secret of the TARDIS will be taken from you. But you, you can't condemn me to exile on, on one primitive planet in, in, in one century in time? Besides, I, I'm known on the Earth. It, it might be very awkward for me. Your appearance has changed before. It will change again, and that is part of the sentence. You can't just change what I'd look like without consulting me. You will have an opportunity to choose your appearance. Oh. Oh, well, that's not so bad. But I warn you, I'm very particular. Here is your first choice. Huh? Oh, he's too old. But he's too fat, isn't he? No, he's too thin. Yes, that one's too young. Oh, no, that won't do at all. That's ridiculous. You're wasting time, Doctor. But it's not my fault, is it? Is this the best you can do? I've never seen such an incredible bunch. Since you refuse to take the decision, the decision will be taken for you. No, 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 I, I never said that. But I, but I maintain I have the right to decide what I look like. It could be very important on the Earth. I, I, people on Earth and Tatter Oh, what's happening? What's happened? What's happened? The time has come for you to change your appearance, Doctor, and begin your exile. Is this some sort of joke? No, I, I refuse to be treated it. What are you doing? Stop! You're making me giddy! Uh, no! You can't do this to me! Uh, no! 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 Yeah, I, I think um, the war game is quite interesting. I don't, have you ever seen the fan edit where it's, uh, it's oh no, he's too old, and then Pertwee shows up, and he's too fat, and oh, he's too <laughs> young, and and then just sort of dropping in Davison or whoever else, and, yeah. and they made it, and that yeah. won't do at all, and then Sylvester shows up. So that was obviously your video, Tom. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was quite a neat, um, a neat contrivance. Although it's very bizarre that they bring out pencil sketches, yes, and one of them does actually look like Davison. One, and there's one that looks a bit like John Scott Martin. <laughs> which um, is is brilliant because you know it, it clearly is. Yeah. So this is the time there's the most advanced civilization in the universe, and they can't even give you a photograph of your well, new face. They have to give you a pencil drawing. Maybe that's just how the time lords appear to each other. Maybe they just appear to each other as pencil drawings, and we only see them as human beings. Here's a question: One of the time lords at the trial, yeah, um, played by Bernard Horsfall. Is that the same that's character? Chancellor Goth. another One of the other ones turns up in, I think it's Colony in Space. Yes, that's yeah. right. And, and, then one of, and then one of the other guys in Colony in Space is then in The Three Doctors. So, you know, I love all that. Of course they're playing. Yeah. Of course they're, of course they're, of course they're absolutely. the same guy. Yeah. As, you know, it adds so much to Deadly Assassin when you watch it and you sort of think, like, yeah, well, Goth knows all this. He knows the Doctor. Mm-hmm. He was at his trial. Mm-hmm. He presided. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And he's really, really good as well, considering he's only in the one episode. He has got such a presence, Bernard Horsfall. He's a really good actor. Second he, time he'd appeared in that season. Indeed. He's in, um, am I right in thinking, you, you both built the terms straight, he's in a James Bond film, isn't he? He is, he's on Her Majesty's Secret Service. He's the agent of course. who wants to help out. So he is, Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah that's right. 
See, uh, get see, off my mountain. There, there's a little bit of James Bond. There's, there's, there's a little bit of James Bond and everything. There's a little bit of Doctor Who and everything. Indeed. I think it's. A, I mean, I really enjoy the War Games. It's one of those ones. If you watch it an episode at a time or maybe two at a time, it's really, really good, and it builds up fantastically. Um, it's very. It's, it's epic. Absolutely epic. And the fact we finally get to meet the Doctor's own people, we see them for an episode, and there's all that booming organ music and it just it just makes them seem huge it's that huge it's so casual the way that they're first mentioned as well you know when they get the man from rent a ghost <laughs> or is it the security chief I can't remember I'm sure it's the man from rent a ghost the war chief yeah makes a reference to and it's so big it's, it's interesting because they give it the same sort of emphasis time lords as they put on warlords when I watched it I remember thinking so there's Lords of War and the Lords of Time what else are there but ever, they've never really gone back to that as far as I'm yeah. aware and, and yet I, we're not discussing the war games just now we'll get to that in due course I'm sure but one question I always thought a bit odd was that the warlord himself the boss of the war chief was not a time lord yeah. but the war chief his second in command was a time lord I, thought, I always thought that was a bit odd that he wasn't the main yeah. villain but I suppose yeah. he's there he's supplying the technology and yeah. he doesn't want the responsibility let's not, let's not dwell on it let's no. move swiftly on Let's move swiftly on to the first one that I remember and was very excited to... Uh, I mean, I remember the BBC uh, news programme that announced the new the new actor to play Doctor Who. Right. Uh, you know, they announced that John Pertwee was leaving and the new actor had been cast. And I was really sad because I loved John Pertwee so much. And I was not convinced by this new guy. He was far too young. And when it happened at the end of Plant of the Spiders... I was watching with my big brother Kenny and his one comment was, nah, too young. <laughs> but then he had never got over Hartnell leaving, so he was I probably a judgment not to be trusted. Yeah. But I remember that very vividly. Yep, June the 8th, 1974. Oh, Doctor, why did you have to go back? I had to face my, my fear, Sarah. I had to face my fear. That was more important than just going on living. Please, don't die. A tear, Sarah Jane? No. no, don't cry. While this life is... He is not dead. Oh, no. I don't think I can take much more. I'm sorry to have startled you, my dear. Won't you introduce me to your friend, Miss Smith? Oh, um, yes, this is the abbot of... No, it's Choji. I mean, it looks like Choji, but it is really Campo Rinpoche. I think. Thank you. That makes everything quite clear. The doctor is alive. No, you're wrong. He's dead. All the cells of his body have been devastated by the Metabilis crystals, but you forget. He is a Time Lord. I will give the process a little push and the cells will regenerate. He will become a new man. Literally? Of course, he will look quite different. Not again. And it will shake up the brain cells a little. You may find his behavior somewhat erratic. Well... When will all this happen? Well, there's no time like the present, is there? Goodbye. Look after him. Now, wait a moment. Look, Brigadier, look. I think it's starting. Well, here we go again. June. I always think it's near Christmas, but of course that's when the there new series the started. Well, I oh, was it? Yeah, there was an omnibus repeat of Planet of Spiders. Right. Maybe you saw that as well. I would have. I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't have missed out the omnibus. I watched Planet of Spiders last week, well, a couple of weeks ago, I watched it on Jonesy's birthday. I always watch a Pertwee story on his birthday. 
and I, I watched Planet Spiders all the way through for the first time in a while, and it's, I think it's great. There's there's a real consistency to the Perthwee era. It's the, I think you know because of Barry Letts in terms of decks and, and all that, and you know compared to every other, practically every other sort of period in the programme's history, there's a real consistency in feeling real, you know, all that we've talked before, I think, about how Captain Yates gets developed, but it's so well done. I hadn't had thought of this, because actually you're right, the, the, the Pertwee era, five seasons, is the only time apart from, you know, until the new season where the same producer was in the driving seat. Yeah. That never happened. Apart from the Davison, Sylvester... Oh, God. Yeah, of course, yeah, what we're thinking. You're absolutely right. I forgot about but, him. Know, Davison had... Um, Davison had three different... Three or four umpteen different script editors. Colin had one. Um, and then Sylv had one. But I th- what was... You know, even within those... Within the Davison, Baker and McCoy, is the quality in stories is sometimes very inconsistent. And I think, yeah. broadly speaking, there is a real... Consistency to the to the Perry stuff. Planet Spiders, though, it's um more than it more than anything so anything so far. It's a celebration of the actor who's been playing the part. Yeah. It really it's they make the whole story is basically built around the fact that John Pertwee is leaving. Whereas yeah. with um the War Games and obviously at the Tenth Planet, we've already said it's just kind of dropped in. But yet there's a real season finale feel. I quite like the fact that it's almost started, the story begins a whole year earlier, at the end of The Green Death, when the Doctor gets the crystal from Metabilis 3, you can, you and events are set in motion. You can you could argue it's, it's set in motion with um in the Time Monster, when um Captain Yates gets injured in the explosion, and the Doctor talks about his mentor for the first time. You know, that's mm. the seeds are planted as far back as that, you know, because Captain Yates is, is off to recuperate, goes into, you know, undercover stuff in The Green Death, meets the Green... The, Discovers the the blue crystal that the doctor has taken back and sets him off to his, to his um invasion of the dinosaurs and then you know it's so the doctor and Yates are sort of linked all the way through it's it's quite interesting. Right, Kenny, okay, for this for the sake of anyone who might be listening to this who doesn't know why John Pertwee or why the 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 regeneration actually happened, give us the give us the circumstances that led to the, the arrival of the fourth doctor. Well, at the start of the season, of course, um, Roger Delgado had passed away and Katie Manning had left. And Barry Letts indicated that he was looking to move on as well. So there was that element. But of course, there was also another element where Mr. Pertwee did enjoy the financial side of the job. And he asked for a pay rise and the BBC said no. And said, well, I'm off as well then. Well, is, is that true? I mean, I've, I've seen, I'm sure I've seen Barry Letts sort of, um, you know, refute that. But it's possible Barry Letts may have just been... Tactful, or was that was to, that was John himself who said that yeah. in interviews. Yeah. Well, what I actually meant was give us the narrative. Oh, why did no. the, not not why did John Pert leave? Yeah. Why did the third Doctor well, die? It was the, I think it was all part of Barry Letts's um, Buddhist interest as well feed into it. Whereas the Doctor mm-hmm. has a curiosity for knowledge, and obviously he he wants to know what's going on in Metabilis Three when he goes back there, and ultimately he goes to confront the Queen, and it's. His curiosity and no, his not not the, not the queen. I have to add. not the queen. The queen of the giant spiders. Yeah, I mean the blue. The, the queen wants the blue crystal that the doctor pinched or lifted or picked up on his previous visit. I mean it'd be like going to a beach and picking up a fossil and then you know yeah. many years later finding out that somebody else wants to use it. And it was overdosed with radiation. The radiation. Yeah. No, yeah. Radiation sort of recurs, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Mm. It does. We'll get to that. Um, so he gets back home and here we go again. Says the brigadier. Absolutely. We should mention, of course, it's not the only regeneration that takes place in that story. Indeed, we can indeed. Campbell, Campbell, right. and Shoji, and all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff, which is um, which prefigures what they kind of did with the the fourth Doctor when he came and goes. Well. Indeed, it did. Which again, maybe that's because Barry Letts was was on the case in season eighteen as well. But it's again, it's what I said about consistency. It's like the plotting in so many John Perry turns decks was a master. It's bulletproof. You know, it's like right, we're setting up the fact that you know Campbell and Shoji are there at the same time, and you know. Um, Campo gets gets zapped and then you know the wee chap appears and it's um I it's always thought it was like um almost like little Ronnie Corbett. Let's fast let's fast forward seven years, and the fourth doctor is coming to the end of his time. Did what 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 was Tom Baker's mindset at this at this stage? Tom was not a happy bunny by the time season eighteen came round. Tom had been used to pretty much doing as he liked under Graham Williams. And hence the, there's a lot of overt comedy and silliness coming in, which I love, just to clarify. But for season 18, John Nathan Turner 
took control and uh, pointed out to Tom that he was the boss and obviously Barry Letts was there as well. So Tom had to behave himself a bit more and he didn't enjoy the fact he'd got to start wearing makeup and things like that again. And I think with the change behind the scenes also, Lala Ward left and K9, John Leeson went as well. And he was surrounded by a bunch of younger people and Tom decided, I'm out of here. It was, he'd had enough. It's worth pointing out that I'm not sure this a bit, but Mead and Barry Letts and Tom have all talked about, you know, Tom by this point apparently was offering to go at the end of every series. And I believe when Graham Williams was there, I think it was at the end of the Key to the Time series, there was a, there was a massive sort of fallout behind the scenes and Tom actually eventually quit, you know, after the production of The Armageddon Factor and they had to... I've seen a letter when Tom says, you know, let's try and sort this out with a bit of class. They eventually all got back on terms and he was back, you know, so I think it had been in his mind for a while. And obviously by that point, seven years was the longest anyone had done it. Mm-hmm. John had done five. It's possible he made it, may have had itchy feet for quite a long time. He may have felt he was running out of new things to do. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that, you know, that that was the case. At the end of each season, I think Tom had been saying, as Dave said there, I'm, I'm going to go. So it came to season 18. Same happens to Tom saying, I'm going to go. And rather than saying, oh no, Tom, you mustn't. John Nathan Turner said, right, off you go, rather than having him persuaded to stay. John Nathan Turner is a new producer wanting to make his own stamp, obviously. Mm. And uh, do both of you, have you been following the Doctor Who 1980s account on Twitter? No. It's quite good, yes. Yeah, I've been enjoying that. A friend of the show, um, Spanky Backpack, has been running that. And it's fascinating because he's gone into a lot of, a lot of the detail about what was going on and I'll um, have to look at that. What's their Twitter name? At Doctor Who 1980. Right. Um, and what's obvious from there is that John Nathan Turner was in a massive sort of learning curve as far as getting, you know, everything, production sort of finishing time and because you know, there's been quite a lot of information about the various overruns that they had and the amount of time it took the Leisure Hive to get edited and all this sort of stuff. So it's, um, it's interesting that, that John wanted to shake it up as much as he did or maybe trying to run before he could walk. I don't know. And it's also indicative that obviously that Barry Letts was there to keep an eye on him because they felt that they knew that John was, was new to it. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing, Tom, going, because you know, Kenny mentioned Lala Ward there, obviously. And, you know, we've talked before about dipping your pen in the company ink and you wonder if that maybe sour things for him. Don't defecate in your own restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, let's, let's move on, if we can, to uh, the narrative reasons behind the Fourth Doctor's demise. It's very um, mathematically driven. It's, it's I mean, you, you look at the Tom Baker era as a whole and you think what it's defined by. You think it's you know, horror films, it's you know, classic films, Prisoner's End and things like that. And even you know, look at season 17 and there's spaceships and silliness. And then ultimately, the Doctor's got to try and save the universe from a bunch of maths going wrong. It's always felt like a slightly jarring end. It doesn't feel like the way that the whole thing was going. Not epic enough, really. It's not epic enough. I mean, yes, yeah, he's saving the whole... He's got to plug in a cable. Yeah, yeah. yeah stop yeah. the cable getting unplugged. And it just, and then, of course, you've got um, the Anthony Emily um, photographic background as the, mm. as the the radio telescope rotates. That's it. You know, that meant nothing when I was eight years old. I did like the idea yeah. that instead of a kind of space disease, which is radioactivity, 
right? Or trial by the Time Lords or simply running out the mm. clock. I did like the idea that he actually broke his neck. I th- it was yeah. quite surprisingly violent, but yeah, also, once again, I thought quite quite a grown-up way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked before, it's, it was the story that kind of swung me from being just a viewer to a fan because he falls off, as I always say, he falls off the big satellite dish and turned out Tristan Farman. Mm. It's, um, it's now, very canny. But let, very let, canny, let, but let's talk briefly, though, about The Watcher. Oh, aye. The Watcher's brilliant. It's brilliant, but even to this day, I'm not convinced. Um, you know, you obviously, well, obviously, because it didn't happen with anyone else. First of all, well, it's, it's and, and, and who is it? I mean, is this a, a standard thing where your future self follows you around, and why is it wrapped like what's, a what's weird cocoon is, thing? Is that the master's interference, and I could almost slip into a quote from Planet of Fire there. The master's interference in Legopolis has interrupted the flow of cause and effect. Obviously. Right. So the Watcher is like, he's like Choji or Campbell, whichever one was switching Black Spiders. The next Doctor, <laughs> the reference to, to the great Dave Morrissey, um, has turned up before he's, before he's due, which is why even the Doctor... But why has he turned up before he's due? Just because of the Master's master shenanigans. Because, because right. So the Doctor, it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because the Doctor sees him across the road and it's like, becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because the doctor sees him across the road and there's that brilliant shot and Tom he's quite he has that sort of big brothery sort of uncle sort of rapport with Adric at the start of the story but from the moment he sees the watcher across the road his performance changes because he knows oh hang on and then there's the scene where the doctor has the conversation with the watcher on top of the bridge and the watcher we don't we're not privy to the conversation but it's obvious that the doctor now knows who he is and because he makes reference to Adric and dipped into the future and it's it's a multi-doctor sto- team up story unlike any other because the watcher gets involved and does help out by bringing Nissa to Legopolis rescuing her from tracking and all that sort of stuff keeps an eye on Adric and Nissa so that they're going to be there at the crucial moment because the watcher knows what's going to happen because he's from the future and it's I remember, like, you know, I was in primary, primary three, and we, I remember us all talking about it at school, like, just that Nissa has that line, the watcher, he was the doctor all the time, and it was just, I mean, everything I've just said, there's not a conclusion I reached in Foxbar at the age of eight, as everything I've worked out yeah. gradually as an adult watching it and, you know, reading the novelisation and all, but I think it's, it's genius, and it's, um, as you say, the, 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 the blunt, violent boomph of he just, he falls yeah, from a great height, absolutely. there's no two ways about it, it's terrific. I was never a big fan of the whole watcher concept. I just oh, think it, it. I just find it. It's sort of, it just he's there. It's almost like the line at the end of the he, so he was a doctor all the time. It's almost like it's been added in at the last minute because he thought, oh pants, we haven't explained who he is. Because it just to me it just doesn't it doesn't well, feel it's, like it's a natural evolution. Well, yes, it's, it's all it's all there though, isn't it? It just I just I found it quite jarring. I mean I know that. It's, Yes, we've seen Choji become Campo, but I, I don't know. It just, I just found it a bit. I, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I, I loved it, and I felt very emotional as you do because mm-hmm. been you know, Tom Baker had been there for seven years, and I remember. So I was seventeen, and I remember thinking, actually, I feel remarkably sorrowful. I mean, I just I felt quite emotional about it, but narratively. I, I never really got on board the whole Watcher thing. Yeah. And it's now become such a kind of iconic part. Oh, I said iconic. I have to put money in the swear box. <laughs> um, it's now become such an important part of Doctor Who lore that you, can, you almost feel as if you're not really supposed to criticise it. You know, there's even the, okay. the Watcher's page in the Doctor Who magazine. Right? I mean, there's one big, I can't remember, can know, I can't remember what story it was. Is it Circular Time? Yes. It was the big Finnish story where they, um, you know... <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand I like I quite like it but on the other hand I find it utterly torturous where they have this whole thing but the Doctor basically has an entire adventure in his mind as he the Fifth Doctor is building up to his own regeneration and as a, a reference to him sort of seeing a Watcher which is the white but with a big bright dazzling burst of colour underneath which sort of like yeah Tom's rolling his eyes at the moment listeners and at the time I kind of was equally struck by how wonderful that was but at the same time kind of oh, it's a bit cringe it's like a bit of a rehash, but some. Um, you know the way things have been going, and, and I know that that you, neither of you have, have seen very much of the, the current run of episodes. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if the if if Chidmel ends up reusing that the way he's been reusing every other trite idea that's been mm. <laughs> hammered to death in the last couple of years. Let's fast forward three years. 
Yes. And we're switching from Peter Davison to Colin Baker. First of all, Kenny, give us the narrative. Why yeah. did the doctor die? The doctor and Perry have landed on Androzani Minor, where they go exploring some caves and they walk through some cobwebs. But it turned out to be raw spectrox from a nest from some creatures, whatever they are, that um, make this stuff. And it turns out that when you refine this, it's effectively the elixir of life and will keep you alive forever. But in its raw form, it poisons you. So the Doctor and Perry are poisoned and dying. The Doctor is able to get the cure for the poison by getting the milk of a queen bat, discovered by Professor Jackage. Good old Jackage. And return to the TARDIS, he gives Perry the Queen Bat's milk and she survives, but the Doctor departs. And what was the reason that uh, Davison wanted to leave? Well, he had his rule of three years. There's that story that, um, that he met Patrick Trout in the BBC car park when he was cast and Trout said, you know, yeah, do, don't do longer than three years. And Davison said as much that he had that in mind, but he'd only ever done three years of everything at the most. And he... He said that he, he loved doing it, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to stop doing it before it stopped being fun. But equally, he didn't want to get typecast, and he felt that would be the risk if he stayed longer. Doctor, what's happened? Ah, Perry, I see Professor Jackage knew his stuff. Good old Jackage. Jackage, you, you got the bat smell? Contains an anti-vesicant, I imagine. Interesting. What? The bat's milk. Finished. Only enough for you. There must be something I can do. Tell me. Too late, Perry. Going soon. It's time to say goodbye. Don't give up. You can't leave me now. I might regenerate. I don't know. Feels different this time. What was it you always told me, Doctor? Brave heart? You must survive. Too many of your enemies would delight in your death, Doctor. Brave heart? You're needed. You mustn't die, Doctor. Too many of your enemies would delight in your death, Doctor. You know that. You mustn't die, Doctor. You know that, Doctor. Adric? <laughs> you know that. You You're expecting someone else? I... 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 That's three eyes in one breath makes you sound a rather egotistical young lady. What's happened? Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. I met Peter Davison the Royal... Uh, royal Mail postage stamp launch at the 50th anniversary and after I spoke to him I got my photograph taken and everything and after I spoke to him I thought damn it I forgot to mention a very peculiar practice which he only did for two years mm. but it's one of the, my all time favourite shows ever I mean it's not not even just because Peter Davison is in it it's yeah, just DVD. wonderful I do oh, yes. that's that's David, yeah, Trouton, isn't it? David Troughton is in it and and also oh god I have to I can't oh yeah Graham Crowther Crowden. Crowden. And the absolutely amazing who, Barbara Flynn. And, and indeed. So there's there's a lot of Doctor Who uh, baggage in that, but it is just one of the best shows ever. Uh, and it was in the 80s, it was the mid-80s, um, You would th- and it has dated to an extent, but so worth watching again. And, and they finished off that whole story. So I suppose technically they did do three years because there was a belated sequel called A Very Polish Practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again written by Andrew Davis who wrote the originals mm-hmm. and it is terrific um, so mm-hmm. I'll yes remind me and I'll yeah, let you I'd, I'd like to see it I mean I remember seeing bits of it but it, it, it's been said many times that Peter Davison's probably the actor who suffered the least 
from being associated with Doctor Who, especially, you know, it's changed a little bit now because obviously David Tennant's had a really, really strong career since he left Doctor Who. Um, but Davison had so many lead roles afterwards, you know, you can't really argue it otherwise. He had much more success as a as a leading actor than any of his, his predecessors or his immediate successors. He, he kind of shook it off very quickly. But at the same time, was willing to make fun of himself, like in sketches, mm-hmm. like the David Williams, Mark Gatiss sketch, yeah. which I always think is funny. I think it's on, is it the Daleks that we've got the that as an extra? That, those, those sketches? Yeah. One of the early... Early DVDs, and I always remember I had this, I had the subtitles on by mistake actually, and the scene is that David Williams arrives with a big a big bag with someone writhing inside <laughs> it, and he wakes up Mark Gatiss, and Mark Gatiss wakes up and says, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but the subtitles say, "Oh my god!" So oh, whoever really? was writing the subtitles <laughs> didn't get it, didn't get the joke. The, my favourite line in it's when um, Mark Gatiss, you know, rubbing his eyes and putting his glasses on, you know. It's nearly ten o'clock at night. <laughs> Can I kiss Peter? Which is just amazing. <laughs> and, and Davison's face yeah. when David Williams says, "Can I kiss Peter?" Yeah. and Mark Gatiss just says, "Yes,", yes. and he, switches the light off. Just fantastic. <laughs> um, Maybe we should do an episode on Doctor Who skits. Yeah, I'll be up for that. It'd be fun. But yes, it's what it, I'd say is probably my favourite regeneration story. I think it's the pace of it, the speed at which it's told. First time I saw it was in Campus Lang Fire Station because I was with the Cubs and we were on a visit that night really? and okay. everybody stopped to watch the last few minutes of the Caves of Androzani, which my dad had been recording for me at home. Yeah, anyway, it's funny you say that because I remember going up to the Cubs after it that night and just being in a daze and it was all I wanted to talk about was um that's brilliant. <laughs> there we go, you know, left-handed handshake and all that, you yeah. know, dib dib dib. Let's move on. Yes. Well, actually, maybe when we talk about regenerations, we should just actually also refer to the aftermath because this is the first regeneration where the succeeding actor has a line before the end of the show. That's true. And had been in the series previously. And had been in the previously. series. Yeah. Um, so, Davison changes. He's got the whole sequence of characters, including the master that he's met during this particular regeneration. And then we've got some... Fandabby dozy special effects, and suddenly he sits up, which is different. And then he says his first line. And then we didn't have to, we only had to wait a week, didn't we? That was in the middle of a season. Now we come to the most controversial regeneration, the most difficult one for the BBC, because Colin Baker never resigned. He was removed from his post. He was removed. Now, was, was this something to do with the charity record that he recorded? No. I don't think so. Didn't go down well no. with the BBC no. bosses, though, did it? No, that, but that was after the the hiatus. That was no, that was after the pause after they made his, his first full series. I mean, um, we could do a whole episode about the whole intricacies of what went on when Colin was there, and be, I'm quite I'd be up for that. I'd be completely up for that one day. Um, there was just that feeling that the BBC wanted to to you know, no two bones about it. It had been seen as a failure. The Sixth Doctor had been seen as a failure, and they just wanted to. You know, move on with a new doctor. Isn't, isn't it odd though? With it, but they kept a new producer. I was, I was going to say, they kept you know, producer. the idea that that I mean, of course, the, the show is only as good as its lead actor, but you can't blame the actor for a terrible show when the producer has been sitting there for at that yeah. point. And the script many editor years. is the one who's been picking the stories exactly. as well. And that was the story. In that season, the stories were dropping like flies. There were it was two four parters and then three two parters. And then they fell through one by one. So you, sorry, do you mean um, for trial? Trial, right? Trial right, season, right? And they just fell, and then ultimately we got Terror of the Vervoids as a last minute replacement, and then the ultimate fall. Of course, Pip and Jane had to re- had to create an episode from scratch in I think like two days. And Pip and Jane, when we, when anyone Jane ever says yeah. Pip and Jane, I just have this vision of the show Rainbow with a big bear. <laughs> uh, you know, as if there's, there are a couple of characters in this show. You think they were bunglers? Well, I think they'd be better suited to Rainbow than to Doctor Who. But let's not dwell on that. No. Let's go straight on to the point where Doctor Who has been put on. What do you call it? It's been well, paused. Probation. Hiatus. Hiatus, that's the word. Um, and then they decide to bring it back after all, but they decide not to bring Colin Baker back, and Colin refuses, and perfectly understandably, to do the regeneration scene. 
Well, he was offered four, four full episodes. Time of the Rhyme was written for, for his doctor. But, the, cause but, then, he, but then he made the mistake of reading the script and, and just thought... Um, I believe it was um, it was the scene when, when um, Baeus blows up the Rani's the brain in the jar sort of thing and it was supposed to be the doctor that did that originally that was where he was going to be injured and that was going to but Colin quite rightly sort of said you know I'm not going to come back and do one story just to shoot you I'll, if you want me I'll come back and do a full series and I'll go at the end of that just you know to make it worth my while it's kind of horrendous that whole bubble between you know 1986 and 1987 when all that stuff was going on as Kenny said about all the stories falling apart when they were making the trial they had so much time to prepare for it let, let me get this and, right you know um, the fourth doctor fell from a great height and broke his neck Fifth Doctor was poisoned. Third Doctor was irradiated with radiation in a giant spider's lair. And the Sixth Doctor fell off his exercise bike and hit well, his head against the, the, the TARDIS console. Am I right? That's You can draw that implication. From, I mean, it's not even, even that clear in the TV episode. Um, there's a phrase in the book, the novelisation, that people cast up quite often called tumultuous buffering. But the thing... You know, it, it cast a long shadow that Colin didn't do a regeneration. And as a result of Pomp, you know, get to Paul McGann, but when Pomp McGann came back and did his Night of the Doctor thing at the, the 50th, that kind of... I believe that Big Finish had said to Colin Baker about doing a regeneration he'd always resisted, but I think the response to the McGann one convinced them that it would be worth doing. So Big 2015, Big Finish released the box set, which had a, gave the Sixth Doctor a sort of proper finale. I listened to it again this morning in prep, and it's, it's very difficult to summarise because it's... Basically, the Valyard is trying to use the Doctor's mind to something via... Uh, he's trying to use the Doctor's mind to attack the Time Lords, and the Doctor realises that if he dies, the Valyard won't be able to do that. And there was, an there was a sort of suggestion in the New Adventures books that the, the Doctor, as an entity, had sort of suicided the Sixth Doctor to bring in the Seventh and stop the Valyard being created, which was something that, you know, which I thought was a genius idea. And this... this Big finish story. I think it's called The Brink of Death. It's part of the last adventure box set. It doesn't... It doesn't quite sort of contradict that. The Doctor realises that to stop the Valyard, he has to die. And Colin gets... Just... The most amazing sort of... Um, so true to the character that he's, that he's played for Big Finish and for the Doctor. I'm tearing up talking about this, actually. <laughs> Listen to it again this one. He gets the... He just... He gets just the chance that he didn't get on TV, which is to be brave and noble... And in a Night of the Doctor style, sort of list off all his companions, and then um, and then you know there's a crossover with Sylvester. It's so well done. Yeah, absolutely. Deep, what Dave's saying is absolutely. I still get goosebumps when I listen to it because the Valier says, "And what about your morals?" And yes. the Doctor says, "They died with me." And then that's it. The regeneration's underway. You get the sound effects and the start time in the Rani as the buffeting of the TARDIS goes underway. It's really, really nicely done, and it and it and it's absolutely epic. That, that last three minutes, especially, is just it's so well done because it it adds and changes quite a lot of. It takes the, the start of you know the beginning of part one time in the Rani changes it completely without really changing it completely, adding all sorts of you know. It's almost like this is what happened. Before time, you could what they they are seamless. You could just go straight from the audio straight into the TV episode, and you know it's it's a brilliant bit of work. Uh, just to share the stories a bit from the very beginning of uh, time in the Rani. You know, I I remember watching this thing. Why didn't they just have Sylvester McCoy being I, the Doctor? Yeah, they didn't have yeah. to do a regeneration scene. Yeah, that's, that's uh, as yeah. was proved in Rose. Yeah. Um, they just had Christopher Eccleston turning up and that was yeah. it. I mean, that's a really good point because regeneration is really well established at that point. Mm -hmm. The programme's been going for 24 years. It's been and it would have created another question mark over what yeah. happened between yeah. Colin Baker and so You could have had another few regenerations in there. Yeah. It, it was, it was, I thought that was a sign that John Nathan Turner was peddling, you know, just cutting favour far too much with the fan base. Or lack the imagination to do well both. Yes, absolutely. Let's be honest. Absolutely. You know, and there was maybe a feeling then that they had to to show a regeneration. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, if they'd had the if they'd had the the nerve to actually you know write the confidence. Years, yeah, right. I mean, that's another part of it too. Yeah. So as the seventh Doctor played by Sylvester McCoy disappears in the TARDIS at the end of Survival. I think we'll wrap up for now. Okay. And uh, we will rejoin the adventure in the next um, episode. So from me, Tom Harris, it's cheerio. Right, and from me, David Steele, goodbye, we'll see you next time, take care. And from me, Kenny, somewhere else the tea's getting cold.
Thank you.